everybody. Here we go. Flea Market Fantasy number 24. Yes. This is your co-host, Mike L. And as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. That's right. And this week's pick is once again mine. And I've decided to go with Marvel's competitor, DC Comics. <laughs> and I've picked Secret Origins number 36 from January 1989, featuring Green, sorry, Green Lantern, Poison Ivy, and I forgot about this one. We've also got the secret origin of Pie Face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of that racially insensitive nickname, Pie Face. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll get into that later. But anyway, Michael, usually I do a lot of research when we do books, but I really didn't do much for this one. <laughs> because, no. uh, but uh, can you tell me how long Secret Origins was around? Because I, I had no idea this was even a thing. Like, I didn't know this was even a book. Secret okay, Origin. yeah, well, Secret Origins, um, there, this is, I, I think, at least the second volume. There was, there was a run in the 1970s, and basically what it was was they would kind of redo the origins of the various Marvel or DC superheroes, Superman, Batman, uh, whoever, Huntress, uh, Green Lantern. And then um, in 1986, I believe it was, they decided to revive it because – after DC did the Crisis on Infinite Earth, which you're familiar with, Mike Dell, yes. right? Unfortunately, um, <laughs> they had to they revised almost everyone's origin, right? So they had to, um, you know, inform everybody of what these new origins were. And so starting with, um, it, although it was confusing because Secret Origins, like the first year or so, they were still <laughs> doing the old pre-Crisis origins. Very confusing. Wait. You mean something about DC's continuity was confusing? Yeah, I don't find that's hard to believe. I don't believe that. Just, just, just work with me on this. If All you right. Can. Okay, try to. Okay. So basically, um, they, you know, they do Superman, they do Batman, and then they're they're always throwing in these minor characters like Doll Man and people like that as they go along. So here we are, three <laughs> years into man. the. Oh, man, I know who the great, hell is Doll Man? The Human Bomb, all these great old classic DC characters. Anyway, all right. So yeah, so it took them a while, but finally they got to Green Lantern here, and I'm not sure if there's a theme of why they also threw Poison Ivy into this issue, but they did, and that's maybe, the main. That's the reason they're both green. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that. I was like, really, that's it. They're green. You know, there's no nothing else they have in common. Um, but yeah, the reason I picked this issue is because it's written by Neil Gaiman of Sandman fame, a very early DC work for him. And so that's why I picked it. Well, the Poison Ivy story is written. By yes, Gaiman. the Poison Ivy story. Right. Sorry. Written by Neil Gaiman. The Green Lantern story is just, you know, it, it just happens to be there. So we're going to talk about that as well. <laughs> I know the Pie Face story is your favorite, probably. Yes, in the main obviously. Movie. But um, yeah, we'll get to that later. But um, so yeah, so that's pretty much it. And so Secret Order, and every once in a while they'll revive it. Like every couple of years, every five or ten years, they'll bring it back. And and DC kind of uses that as their go-to for any time they're doing an origin, they'll call it Secret Origin. That's just the way they are, you know. So now, now you said originally they had a volume in the '70s, and they, right. I, I think you said they redid the origins. But what, you you don't mean like they redid them after post crisis. You mean they like just gave a different take on the same right, origin right. story? It, yeah, they would just redo it but just it's like a remake they just expand on it yeah. redraw but not change it really yes but Where, in the yeah. second volume they're like changing because this poison ivy origin is different here than her original origin yeah in fact as far as i know it's completely different like she even has a different name here which she references right like he, yeah. he asked her yeah he says oh what i can't remember the name but it was like something rose and she's like, oh, I just let like, make up things sometimes. But if you go back and read her origin from like the 60s, that was her origin. The other oh, origin, okay. a different name and all that stuff. So, so yeah, they're kind of just starting from scratch here. All right. Well, let, uh, let's talk about the cover real quick. So I, we forgot to talk about the cover last week, and I always want to talk about the cover. Um, but uh, it's drawn by Mike Carlin. Really? Oh, I don't, know, I don't know much about him, but apparently he's no relation to George Carlin. No, no relation. Okay. But it's here. I got to point out. So Mike Carlin is not really known as a, as a penciler, but he was the editor of Superman for a very long time, and he I think really? he's, yeah he's still at DC. Um, I think he's like one of their sort of higher ups at DC. I'm not a big fan of him to be honest because I don't think his run on Superman was ever really good. But um, I mean, this is a pretty simple cover. But you also notice that it says. Eduardo, Bar like the, the second name there is Eduardo Barreto. So I'm assuming Eduardo Barreto kind of cleaned it up and made it look good. I'm assuming. 
Yeah, because I'll tell you, this is like uh, it, the cover is just a uh, close up, extreme close up of uh, a Green Lantern and like Poison Ivy trying to kiss him, her arm right. wrapped around him. And you see his uh, little power ring there glowing in the bottom. But it, it, this is just classic comic book art. Like, this is perfect, I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm going to assume again that it's Eduardo. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Eduardo Barreto. No. But he took, he, he took over from George Perez on Teen Titans. So he's kind of just a, a classic DC artist, you know. So I'm assuming he made this look as good as it does. So Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not familiar with either of them. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, so, yeah, that's the cover. And then uh, the first story is Green Lantern. The secret origin of Green Lantern. But here, here's my question, Michael. Okay. <laughs> what in this? Well, maybe we should talk about the whole story first of all. Sure, sure, sure. All right. Yeah, let's begin. But the first page of the story, it's actually a flashback to the famous issue uh, written by Denny O'Neill and drawn by Neil Adams where Green Lantern and Green Arrow confront racism. Right, right. And more specifically, their own uh, lack of activism to uh, do something to better the quality of life for African-Americans in the country. Right, right. Because there's the famous quote where the fellas telling Green Lantern, you know, I see you doing all kinds of stuff for the orange skins and the purple skins and all that. Other, but what are you going to do for the black skins? You know, mm, right, what are you right. going to help us out? And uh, and Green Lantern, you know, he's all he's all ashamed. Right, right, right. Because the guy, the guy says, answer me that, Mr. Green Lantern. Mm -hmm. That's great. <laughs> it's a classic issue, but I've never read it. Have you read it? Yeah, yeah, I've read most of the classic uh, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams run. Yeah. Now, because I'm interested to know, because then we we jump. Okay, so we have that first page taken from that classic issue. Now we get into our, to our story with, right. uh, and who are the creators for this one? The writer is James Owsley. Yes. And the penciler is M. D. Bright. Right. Are you familiar with either of those fellows? Yes. Yeah, so James, I, I'm not sure if it's Owsley or Owsley, but I'll say Owsley. Uh -huh. So James Owsley is so interesting enough. James Owsley is black or African-American. He started out, I believe, as an editor at Marvel. And he was actually editor of Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. During the late, like the mid 80s. So and I seem to recall, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he had something to do with Peter David getting into writing books. Wasn't he yeah. the editor that gave Peter I, David a shot? Yes, I believe he right. hired him. And he's also the guy that was sort of coerced into firing Tom DeFalco from writing Spider-Man. Oh, okay. And so he was in the middle of this huge thing with Jim Shooter as well. Because it was basically Jim Shooter that kind of suggested to him over and over again that he should fire Tom DeFalco. But, <laughs> yeah. Tom, but Tom DeFalco was his also his boss. And so when he fired Tom DeFalco, that kind of blacklisted him in the eyes of Tom DeFalco. And then Jim Shooter didn't back up his own, you know what I mean? Like he didn't support Jim Owsley. And so there was this huge debacle, blah, blah, blah. So eventually he, he ended up becoming a writer. He changed his name to Christopher Priest. Hmm. And he ended up writing uh, things like Black Panther and some other things. And he's a fairly good writer. But yeah, so this is an early work by him. How about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, did we mention the year? This is 1989. Yeah, 1989. Okay. Yeah, we mentioned that. Yeah. So, so we get it, we get into the actual story that uh, Mr. Owsley here wrote, and I'm interested, Michael. Do you remember, like, because they show like some uh, dialogue coming off the page? The the first picture we see is a young uh, African American fellow with right. like red glasses, and he's peeking out from behind a chimney. And then we see we have dialogue coming in from off the page, and he says, "Okay, maybe uh, I have been a dummy. So tell me, how do I help?" I'm guessing that's Green Lantern. And then the other guy is telling him, I'm no ad advice committee. And then he gets it. But is that actual dialogue from the, the Denny O'Neill issue? Because I'm okay. guessing it wasn't. Because it, it seems like that's kind of hokey dialogue. And I'm guessing it probably wasn't taken from that. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I'd have to. I mean, you, we could dig it up. I could find out. But I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. But it's all right. I was just wondering if you knew. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this kid witnessed that exchange. Right. And then right when Green Lantern's about to leave, he pops out and says, hey, Mr. Green Lantern. And he's talking mm -hmm. to him. Yeah. So go ahead, Michael. Then you take it away. So, yeah. So basically then, so they have a very quick exchange and um, Green Lantern basically takes off. And so this kid is like, you know, he's excited because he just got to meet Green Lantern, you know, his hero or whatever. And then we cut to several years later. And now this guy's grown up to be a, he's, you know, a young man. And um, he, you know, wakes up on and he's going and he, all around his room. He's got yes. Hal, Hal Jordan Green Lantern posters. Yes. 
His uh, his room is just decorated with everything uh, Green Lantern. There's po. It basically looks like my room dedicated to Oscar. Okay. <laughs> just to imagine, this guy loves Green Lantern as yeah. much as I love Oscar. Yeah. Even his sheets, Mike. Even his blankets. His sheets are white and his blankets green. You know. Oh, I didn't just... notice that. That's great. <laughs> he keeps it up. His <laughs> yeah. walls are green. The paint. You're right. The paint green. of the wall. Yeah, you're right. Everything is green. He's even sleeping in a Green Lantern T-shirt. Mm-hmm. This, this is this giving kid... me ideas for my house. This, <laughs> this kid loves the Green Lantern. Holy hell. And keep in mind, he's in his 20s now. It's almost as sad as a fellow in his mid-40s being obsessed with Asuka. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> almost. Uh, and that's, yeah. you know, DC, DC's like that. They have a lot of hero, <clears throat> hero worship with their characters like Flash and, you know, Superman and all that. So it's kind well, of Well, I remember cool, in I Guardians of the Galaxy, our buddy Vance Astro was obsessed with Captain America. He had, like, Captain America pictures on his wall and stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, but apparently this kid, his name is Chip. And right. uh, now... Now he's grown up to be like a uh, aeronautical engineer or a designer of aircrafts and stuff. And like he answers the phone, the phone's ringing and the guy on the other end's yelling, Hey, did you get a pilot yet? Where we're supposed to test this plane, you know, we need right, a right. Pilot. and, uh, and he just says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he walks out. Yeah. So then what's going on? What else? How does Hal Jordan come into the picture, Michael? So, and that's the thing is the one thing, and I'll get to this later, but the awkward thing about this, story is i think it's happening in between issues of action comics weekly and so apparently hal jordan is down on his luck and he's been his reputation has been ruined but i'm not i don't know how or by who but he mentions it's been trashed by um the guardians of the universe's enemies but i'm not sure who that means so i don't really know exactly what's going on but basically he's sleeping in although he's not sleeping in his car yeah He's in a traffic jam, and um, he's kind of having flashes of people sort of scolding him. Like, <laughs> well, the f- well, it's Green Arrow. He, he's yeah, reflecting the second one on, uh, Green Arrow. His buddy Green Arrow was yelling at him, and he had a fight with Green Arrow, and he, he right. he's feeling uh, remorse and regret. Right. Yeah. But who's the, I don't know who the first one is. Uh, help, I can't give hell. Sorry. I don't know who that is. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're going to say that is Green Arrow's buddy, Jimmy. Yeah, okay, there you go. Nameless. <laughs> I have no idea who that is. Yeah, so then, so so anyway, this cop sort of like, uh, he, you know, he's in a traffic jam, but he's asleep, and so he wakes him up. He starts on his way. He's kind of narrating with his thought bubbles about what's going on with the status quo. Like we said, he's kind of blacklisted, so he's looking for a job. So then he goes knocking on this guy's door because of this ad that he's seen in the paper, and they're looking for like a test pilot. Yep. So he goes to the door, and the kid, who's now an adult from the second page yeah. of the story, he answers the door, and right away he knows that it's Green Lantern. He's like, "You?" And he's like, "Oh yeah." He's like, "You're Green Lantern." He's like, "Uh, no, I'm not." Bye. And he just walks out the door, <laughs> and he's got he holds up his picture that he's got of Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, right? And so he recognizes this guy. Yeah. Well, first, well, well, he he doesn't say he's Green Lantern right away. He goes, "You." And he says, uh, and he and Green Lantern, Hal Jordan's like, what? What's going on? He says, just wait there a minute. So Hal Jordan follows him into the into the house or the apartment, and, and this guy's rummaging all through his room to find a picture of Green Lantern. Hey, buddy, you have pictures of him all over your yeah. wall. <laughs> That's a good point. You probably have his face oh. tattooed on your inner thigh. Why do you have to be <laughs> digging under the uh, bed to find an old eight by ten glossy of uh, Green Lantern? Yeah, literally, his, his pictures wall. everywhere. That's a good point, yeah. So then when he finds the picture, he looks at it and he goes, you're a Green Lantern. (laughs) No, I'm not. Bye. (laughs) Yes. So that's when Hal Jordan leaves and he hops back in his car. But there's still so much traffic, Michael, that Chip's able to chase him down, even though he's still in his robe and underpants. Right, right, right. And then so basically he confronts him again and then Green Lantern and then Hal Jordan's like, oh, what the heck? He's like, "Okay, you're right. I am Green Lantern. Let's go someplace where we can talk. Yeah, he just shows him the ring then. He's like, here, look, I got my ring. Now, he wasn't wearing the ring. Where did the ring come from? Does it just like he does it just magically appear on his finger? I think he I think he he makes it like invisible to other people's eyes. I think that's okay. Yeah, I don't know anything about Green Lantern, really. Have you ever read a Green Lantern story? Uh, maybe when I was a little kid, I think I have a couple issues, but okay. I, I know that for some reason he, he can't, uh, he, like a, a number two pencil would kill him because he's like, he can't do anything against a yellow, right? Like, yes, yes, yes. I thought you were <laughs> confusing him with the Alan Scott Green Lantern for a minute because 
Oh, wood. Happy. That's right. Yeah, wood. Yeah, wood. He can't do anything against wood. So technically, a yellow number two number pencil two would pencil, kill yeah. both of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And again, I've said this many times. I just don't. Well, I was going to say I don't like superheroes that get their power from jewelry. But then uh, right away, I thought of Underdog, and I love Underdog. Okay. <laughs> Wait, really? How does Underdog get doesn't get. Underdog doesn't technically doesn't get his power from jewelry though. He he gets it from narcotics. He okay. Has, he keeps a pill inside the ring and he okay. takes the pill and then he gets strong. So all right, I can still make this point. If you're a superhero and you get your uh, powers from jewelry, uh, you're uh, not cool. Okay. Not, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, Green Lantern's always been one of my favorites, so I love him. I got nothing bad if, to say. If you're a grown adult man, unless your name is Sammy Davis Jr., you should not be wearing rings. <laughs> you know, I actually agree with that. I, I, yes. I dated in high school. I told her even if we got married, I would never wear a wedding ring. <laughs> yes. I guess if you're married, there's an exception. But, uh, yeah, you shouldn't be wearing rings if you're a man. That's just – I mean, even if you win, like, the Stanley Cup or something, you get the ring, but you don't wear it. Yeah, you, you put it in a drawer somewhere. You know. I don't wear any jewelry personally, yeah. so. All right, but anyway. Back so, to the story. Yeah, so Green Lantern, he's like, yeah, I'm Green Lantern. Let's go have some, let's go talk. Now I'm thinking, oh, they're going to go get a cup of coffee or something. Nope. What do they do, Michael? He gives him, um, does he have another ring or is this yes. just a, he yeah, a he gives him ring. another ring. So now this guy is flying around and in a Green Lantern costume, of course, <laughs> yes. without a mask. And well, so in fairness, he probably had that Green Lantern costume at his house. Yeah, that's true. In his closet, yeah. Um, so yeah, now they're flying around. So he's in a duplicate Green Lantern costume, <clears throat> and they're basically just chatting up about what this um, what this job is of his. And he starts kind of you know explaining, oh, it's this group, elite design consultants, blah blah blah. He's explaining what it is, and Hal Jordan's kind of just thinking about whether or not you know he's like, well, there's no way I can give Chip my name and social security number, not <laughs> not with him knowing who I really am. Too bad, too. Having a friend would be nice. And so that becomes one of the conflicts of the story is that he wants to take this job, but he can't give away his secret identity, but he wants to have a new friend, so blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's desperate for love and affection, this Green yep. Lantern. Yeah, I, mean, I think... I'm pretty sure he wanted to bang uh, Chip at some point. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty down on his luck at this point. But again, I don't really know where this fits into the... The Green Lantern, you know, uh, chronology, like I said, I don't really know exactly what was going well, on. Well, let me say, let me say this, Michael. Yeah. Um, I did do a little research on these uh, aeronautical people. Okay. <laughs> Whatever the hell their names were. They call them, their nicknames the Gremlins. And we, right. we meet them, we meet three other people later. Uh, but I guess their first appearance was in Action Comics. There you go. 21. Right, okay. And then I think they, they've only made four appearances total, I think. Really? Yeah, so it seems weird that they're making this big a deal of them in Secret Origins, and they're not even that popular. Well, like, I, thought th I thought this would be a big story arc for Hal Gordon's character. Like, he spent years working with them, but apparently... Wait, did you say Hal Gordon? Oh, Hal Jordan. Yeah, Hal Jordan. <laughs> Sorry, it's funny. He's Hal Gordon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, it, it's almost like this, this is like a pilot for Hal Jordan's next adventure, but you're right. If there's only four more appearances by these guys, it seems kind of pointless right like yeah like if you're like i expected you to know all about these people and like all no, the no. but yeah so if you don't even know who they are i'm guessing they must have only been there for like four issues uh, right maybe they were being set up for something and then the next writer came in and just ditched it all i'm not sure yeah well whoever yeah. that guy is i want to shake his hand yeah <laughs> okay anyway <laughs> okay so then is yeah, oh, oh, sorry go quick, ahead like oh, one other little uh, trivial trivia tidbit here uh do you know uh green lantern's first appearance what issue it was yeah showcase through 22 holy hell that is correct yeah, yeah showcase showcase 22 from 1959 All right. that's right yeah i believe he was the second superhero um rebooted in the 50s right by dc after flash oh okay yeah and then they did hawkman and then they did at the atom anyway hmm. All right. Uh, sorry, I was just reading that from my dating profile. Anyway, okay, let's get back <laughs> to this. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so, you know, ideally a Secret Origins story would just have the origin, but unfortunately in this story, it's a present-day story in which we flash back to the origin, so it's a little bit awkward. I don't like that, but fine. So basically, Hal Jordan explains how he became Green Lantern to this guy, and we flash back to, like we said, um, Showcase 22, basically. And we find out that this alien named Abin Sir, who was the Green Lantern of um, Section 2814, his uh, spaceship crashed on Earth, 
And then whenever Green Lantern is dying, the ring sends out this kind of like signal or whatever to find someone else to replace him. And so it has to find someone who's completely without fear. So it found Hal Jordan, uh, who was in the middle of, um, I never really got this, but he was in the, in this, um, what's it called? A, uh, a test. Like a a, flight simulator. flight, Flight simulator, right. But the flight simulator was sort of activated by the ring and actually flies through the air to bring him to where Avan Sur is at this crashed uh, spaceship. So then Hal Jordan goes in and meets Avan Sur. And then, of course, we see a speech bubble where he says, come in, Hal Jordan. And then Hal Jordan thinks to himself, good gosh, a spaceman communicating with me by telepathy, <laughs> which I'm sure is probably the original dialogue, right, from 1959. <laughs> so, so basically, yeah, so he gives a quick rundown of what's going on and how he's going to give him the ring. And basically, that's it. He's like, you must be the new Green Lantern. He gives him the ring. And then um, do they show it that he dies or is that later? Yeah, but he basically dies there after that. Um, And then we cut back to the present and he's still flying around with um, this guy. Now they've made it. Yeah, with Chip. They've made it to Oa, which is I believe it's the the center of the galaxy, um, which is the former home of the Guardians of the Universe. You know, Marvel has the Guardians of the Galaxy. DC's okay. got the Guardians of the Universe, okay? Now, so, who are they? Would I know any of these people? No, no, no. The, the Guardians of the Universe are basically, they're all little people. They're um, blue-skinned aliens that are all, like, midget-sized. They wear, like, these red kind of cloaks. And they're the, the, the alien race that created the Green Lantern Corps, like, thousands of years ago or millions of okay. years ago. Yeah. And so, basically, their job is they're kind of like the, you know, the security council of the galaxy or the universe and so and the green lanterns are their police force but in a previous storyline i believe they were all killed or i don't know what happened but they're not there anymore so this planet is virtually empty now as they're flying around and so they go to this giant so so anyway so for those that don't know so green lantern has to repower his ring every 24 hours by sort of like um, charging it with the giant, with the, like the, the big lantern that he has. But I believe it's once a year he has to fly back to Oa and he has to recharge his lantern with this big lantern. And so they fly back to the lantern and it's all smashed open and, you know, no one's there. Oh, sorry. So then now, yeah, he flashes back to, to Avancer talking to him. And this is the scene where Avancer finally dies, right? And so yes. he's finished explaining everything about the Green Lantern, that he dies. And then we cut back to the present, and Chip has heard a noise. And so obviously something's going on in Oa. It's not as empty as they thought. And, when they, and then it's revealed that there's a, um, a couple aliens that are on this planet. And um, they don't really – what happens here? They kind of just – take off and then they're, they're like scavengers yeah they're they're like yeah getting the ruins of the planet and uh chip chip launches right after him like a true right. superhero this chip guy he's he, flying he, to different galaxies he's got his own power ring you know it's, he's taking he's it on the stride yeah he's living the dream yeah yep he's not really yeah he's not really overly um you know affected by it he kind of just goes yep. with the flow yep like, so like anyway, an average day for chip with, yeah, exactly. So basically, so Green Lantern, you know, so they're fighting these guys now, and this one of the aliens shoots at Chip, but Chip doesn't know about the yellow um, impurity, and so he's not prepared for what happens. But this dude's laser blast goes through Chip's green energy shield. Yeah. Um, but then uh, nothing really happens to him, but then Green Lantern, <laughs> sorry, Hal Jordan sort of ends up uh, saving the day by capturing these aliens. And then that's pretty much he kind of that's pretty much it. He sends these aliens on their way, and then it's back to business for these guys talking about the job and all that. Salaries negotiable, hours are flexible, blah blah blah. But Hal Jordan still doesn't think he could take the job because he's afraid of giving away his secret identity, right? Well, l- let me ask you this, Michael. They they, sure. uh, they stop <laughs> off on a rooftop so they could call their buddy Hawk. Yes, was, he was supposed to be the test pilot, and Hawk is very 1989. Uh, he has a flat top fade. He's, yes. It's tremendous. And he's talking on this enormous cell phone. So it's all pretty awesome. But uh, so the Green Lantern hooks up some TV monitor and a, and a phone for Chip with his power ring. And then he starts charging his power ring with his lantern. So where did this lantern come from? Like, can he just bring it out into existence out of nowhere? It's a great question. Because if he could do that, then what would he need? Like, it doesn't make any sense. He's, yeah. he's, you're right, he's generating the lantern that he's going to charge the ring with, with his ring. It makes <laughs> no sense, so I'm not sure. 
he just had this lantern stashed on this rooftop? I don't Unless know. it's on the rooftop of his building, maybe. Maybe that's it. I'm not sure. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea either. Um, and so basically, yeah, so we kind of, we're introduced to these characters. Again, like you said, it's like they're building them up to be this big thing. And like I I assume it's kind of like, like I said, this is like a backdoor pilot for the upcoming adventures of Green Lantern and Action Comics Weekly. Yeah. And so um, basically then they in the last scene, they're now, Hal Jordan is now meeting these gremlins and um, we kind of <laughs> yeah, get. That's, that's their nickname, the gremlins. Yeah, yeah the, the gremlins. And so we're kind of getting like a foreshadowing of, oh, you know, this guy is the cool guy. This other guy here in the back is the mysterious one. This one's the girl. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> this you know? one's the girl. <laughs> yeah, this is the girl. There's really no personality to her. But, um, and so that's basically it. So now Hal Jordan is going to accept this job and this is going to be his status quo for the time being. And that's it. And then yeah, it says yeah. beginning. Yeah, the beginning. That's how it ends. The beginning. Yeah. Dot dot dot. The beginning of what though? Because apparently they're only in four issues. So. Yeah, I know. Well, like I said, it's, I'm going to only assume that maybe uh, either a different writer took over, or I don't know what happened. But yeah, clearly the status quo did not last long. Here's my big problem with this this story: is this book is entitled Secret Origins. Yes. What did we learn here that we didn't know? That's what's funny. Nothing. Yeah. The book is called Secret Origins, but none of these origins are really secret. Maybe like one percent <laughs> of them, you know. So, like I thought, oh well, maybe this is the secret origin of how how Jordan or Gordon, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> yeah. how how he met these Gremlins people, and you know they must have this huge ongoing story arc for like many years. But yeah, like these these characters are apparently irrelevant. So why? What's the point of all this? That's my problem. <sighs> I don't know. That's a great question. But yeah, it's, it, it's, it's uh, again, this shouldn't have been an issue of Secret Origins. It should have been an, uh, just a story in Green Lantern or Action Comics Weekly. Um, I would have preferred if it just was a story in like a waste paper basket. <laughs> okay, whatever. Okay. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the main point of this issue, and that's the Secret Origin of Pie Face. So, yes. for those that don't know, Hal Jordan in the 1960s <laughs> had a Eskimo sidekick named Pie Face. Yes. <laughs> well, um, well, his real name. Do you know his real name? Yeah. What is it here? It's uh, Kalmuka. Thomas Kalmaku, I believe. Oh, Tomaku. Right. I believe. And his first appearance was in Green Lantern 2 in 1960. Okay. There you go. So you did your research. Okay. <laughs> well, I, well, I had to look up Pie Face. All right. Of course. <laughs> of course. So, so basically, and so oh, we should point out quickly, this is written by Gerard Jones and drawn by Joe Staten, or Joe Staten. Um, I think it's Staten. Joe Staten, um, he had a long run in Green Lantern in the 80s. He also did, I believe he did the Justice Society revival in the 70s in All-Star oh, Comics, okay. at least part of it, yeah. And then and then he, then he went on to do, like, um, I think he's the official Dick Tracy artist now for the Daily Strip, as far as I know. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I, I'm a big fan of his art. I mean, some people think it's a little cartoony, but I really like it. Gerard Jones was kind of like... Um, a Silver Age style writer for DC in the 80s and 90s. He did Justice League. He did uh, uh, El Dorado or El Diablo, a bunch of different books. And then unfortunately, um, his career kind of uh, crashed and burned when it was discovered that he was uh, distributing and or creating child pornography. And so now his career has come to a grinding halt because he's in jail. He, but anyway, He could work in the U.S. government. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Oh, so there you go. Uh, yeah, so I had no idea this character existed. Okay. Because, again, I don't know much about Green Lantern. But apparently when Hal Jordan was a test pilot, this guy was like the mechanic. Right, right. And um, he gave him the name Pie Face because the guy is an Eskimo. And Hal Jordan says, an Eskimo? Huh? Or a real Eskimo, huh? The only Eskimo I've ever met was an Eskimo pie. How about if I call you pie face? <laughs> what? Oh, uh, yeah. Slightly insensitive. Yeah, pretty rough there. <laughs> that is brutal. And then uh, he even, uh, okay, we should say the story is, uh, this is years late, you know, in the present. And uh, our buddy, we'll call, we're going to call him Thomas. Sure. <laughs> he's, he's talking to his kids uh, because his wife's trying to cook dinner and the kids are bugging her. So he says, she says, go in and talk to your dad. Let, have him tell you some stories. 
because I guess he was Green Lantern's sidekick and he would document all their adventures and he mm. kept journals, diaries of their adventures. So he, he likes to read the story. He's got a little girl and a little boy and he reads the stories to him. And after he tells him that pie face stuff, he says, how hadn't had much political sensitivity drummed into him yet? <laughs> yeah. But then he adds, I think maybe I liked him better that way. And, and then the kids are like, can we have an Eskimo pie? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, you can't. Never mention that. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, what's that? Well, yeah, go ahead. Tell all the rest of this. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. So do you want to like talk about, yeah. So basically, yeah, he's talking to his kids, flashing back to how he met Hal Jordan, how he got the name Pie Face. And then there's this really uh, weird um, part of the story where he notices that Hal Jordan uses an odd kind of punch. Well, and Yeah, apparently he had half a, uh, our buddy Thomas here, he had half of a treasure map or something. Yes, and right, And some right. guys came to beat him up to get the rest of the map. And Hal Jordan f came upon him and he says, hey, lay off my buddy. And he uh, grabs the one guy and punches him with like a uh, a shovel uppercut. We like to call it a weird oh, little uppercut. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. But I am happy to see a punch. Okay. In the comic book For once, yep. It's been a while <laughs> since we've seen a punch. And, and so he he clocks the dude, and then uh, our buddy Thomas is like, "Hey, thanks." And uh, but then Hal Jordan just says, "All right, yeah, take it easy, buddy. I'm out of here." Like yep. he just doesn't care. But Green Lantern shows up. Yep. He says, hey, Hal Jordan told me you have some trouble. Yeah. No, but wait, I just er, ran into Hal Jordan and he told me about your problem. So basically, yes. yeah, he's going to lend him a hand with this with this, um, with this, this map. By He goes into his unconscious and he finds trace memories of the stolen map. And now, he's can like, he do that? Is that a thing Green Lantern can do? Well, can do I, sometimes they can kind of do whatever the writers need him to do, you know, <laughs> to be honest. So. So then he's like, with this, we should be able to get at least halfway to that mine. And so they go, um, yeah, so then basically now it cuts to, um, they're in, uh, I believe this is Alaska, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And so basically, so they, they, they find the guys that had beat up um, Thomas earlier, and Green Lantern once again uses, what, what is the punch called? Uh, we'll, we'll call it a shovel uppercut. Shovel <laughs> uppercut. So yeah, he notices... He's like, where have I seen that punch before? You know, and so he's like, he figures out that he's Green Lantern. Yeah. So then he offers to be his um, assistant, right? Yep. Yeah, and so Green Lantern's like, great. He's like, uh, you know, if there's if there's one man a test pile has to trust, it's his mechanic. So then this is where they become partners, right? And then we're cutting back to the present, and they're talking, and, and it's and it's it's kind of cool because um, Thomas is alluding to how they, their friendship and partnership kind of dissolved. And I mean, I didn't really read many of those stories. So I don't know exactly what happened there, but he kind of just subtly alludes to that. Like he's kind of, you can tell he's kind of sad about it and that's pretty much it. Then it kind of just wraps up. Well, it wraps up with a nice little, uh, well, not oh. a nice, a terrible joke, I should say. <laughs> he was... So he's like, yeah, he's like for a poor boy from the North country, I guess I've done pretty well. I finally got my, my, and his wife says, your piece of the pie, if you must put it that way. And then off camera, we hear the kids, Daddy, I want a piece of pie too. <laughs> wah, yes. wah, wah, right? Now, apparently, this, this Thomas fella, he was a part of some superhero team for a while. Was he? I, I, I want to say it may have been the Guardians of the Universe or whatever. <laughs> it sounded something like that. And uh, his power, they gave him a power that made him bring out the best in other people. Oh, wait a minute. I think I know what you're talking about. I believe yeah. you're talking about the new Guardians of the Universe. Oh, okay. Completely different. All right. Um, and I, that was that came out of the event. Yeah, he was. He was in the new Guardians. Do you remember the event Millennium? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, okay, so there was Crisis, then there was Legends, then there was Millennium. Millennium was DC's 1988 big uh, crossover event, right? Yeah. And that basically, it's a long story, but basically out of that, we have the new Guardians of the Universe. And I guess, I never realized he was on that team, but yeah, I guess he was one of them. I mean, that's kind of a nice, wholesome power, you know, you bring out the best in other people. It's yeah. Interesting. Uh, it would have been terrible if he's like, all right, what are you going to do? We're going to give you a power here, Thomas. You can make ice cream sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, so. Ridiculous. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so that's know. the secret origin of our, our buddy Pieface. And uh, now, Michael, the main event. That's right. Yes. The main event. That's what you wanted. Poison mm -hmm. Ivy, written by Neil Gaiman. Okay. Yeah. So 
basically we the story is um from the point of view of this um psychologist i guess um who is um we're introduced to him watching this tv monitor of poison ivy in her prison cell in i believe it's arkham asylum i'm not sure no 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 she's not in arkham yet oh she's not she's just in a regular prison okay okay so he's kind of watching her and he's kind of narrating her and one of the things he says at the beginning is he's like you can turn down the sound but you can't turn off the picture so he's watching her voyeuristically in her little cell and um he he's narrating as he goes along um, the people that he's meeting um, at this hospital, uh, this... It's, uh, it, it's a ladies' prison. It's a oh, ladies it's a ladies' prison. prison, is it? Okay. Yeah, because all the guards are ladies, and when he's walking in, the ladies are like catcalling and stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so then, um, so basically, yeah, so he is brought into um, Poison Ivy's cell, and Poison Ivy immediately casts a spell over him, and he basically falls in love with her, which is sort of one of her powers, I believe. And, and it's uh, also sort of hard to believe because the art here makes her look repugnant. <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny is Poison Ivy is supposed to look like Betty Page, right? And in this issue, I agree with you, in some panels she looks grotesque. Yes. Um, well, we'll talk about the art and the writing. I, I did research the, the creators for this one. Okay. So. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But basically, she's kind of getting under his skin. And, you know, as soon as they sit down and start to talk, and he explains that, um, you know, he's doing this project for certain prisoners, he's going to examine their files, blah, blah, blah. And then right away in his narration, he, he admits, like, he's like lies, of course, not a word about well, Belle Reeve, but it sounds likely and I've had worse cover stories. Well, sorry, what were you gonna say? Well, I think he's actually there. Uh, he's recruiting for the Suicide Squad. <laughs> right. Yes. I believe you're correct. Um, I, I don't really know because I didn't really read Suicide Squad, so I don't know if she but, became a member or. Yeah, but he alludes to like he he's looking like in his thoughts he's thinking mm -hmm. I can't tell her I'm looking for criminals to go on suicide missions or something like that something like that so right yeah, yeah guessing that's why he's there. So yeah, so basically, so he's chatting it up with Poison Ivy, and then um, she starts to hint at certain things. Like one of the things that um, he says is, you know, I've got different files on you, lots of different files. They can't even agree on your name. Pamela Isley, Lillian Rose. And then she's like, it's Pamela Lillian Isley. That's the name on my birth certificate. And um, what was we, so are we going to say something? Well, I, I think they, they uh, say the FBI just had her name wrong in the file. That's right. And so, and so this is like, <laughs> I think I said this earlier, but basically it's kind of like alluding to the pre-crisis origin. Yeah. Now this is the post-crisis origin. So basically she's just saying that she made up that other name. You know, so that kind of explains the way the continuity um, glitches in DC's history. And then he gets called away because there's a, well, we should also mention that when, when he goes to see Poison Ivy, all the, the female guard and the, the warden, they're all saying, be careful. She's going to eat you for lunch. You right, know, she right. She devours men and all that. So then uh, while he's already smitten with her, the guard comes and says, hey, you got to call. Uh, you know, someone's calling for you. So he has to leave. And, and Poison Ivy blows him a kiss. And it could be the least attractive thing I've ever seen. Ew, but it's better than the, the panel right below it of Paula. Anyway, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, Paula's the prison guard. Yeah, Paul, yeah. Sorry, yeah. So yeah, so we're introduced to this uh, prison guard, Paula Goldblum, and um, Paula Goldblum. It, this kind of goes along with Paula is attracted to him, but he's sort of becoming obsessed with Poison Ivy. And the next page, we see that he's watching her on this monitor but yeah. as far as he knows she poison ivy does not know that there's a camera in her room and there's a shot here of him stripping and then the camera oh, kind of stripping of her, of poison, of poison, <laughs> yeah did i say him oops yes of, of poison ivy stripping that's a completely <laughs> different scene yeah <laughs> if he's watching her he starts stripping yeah. <laughs> exactly so his pants are around his ankles but anyway okay so um so yeah he's watching her strip um, and then basically, um, so now we cut to him sitting in, I believe this is the cafeteria, right? At the prison. Well, yeah. They go to get some coffee, uh, him and the Paula, cause Paula's she's, she wants to get a piece of this. Uh, so like, I think his name's Stuart, right? Stuart, yes. His Stuart, last name. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and she wants to go out on a date with him after work. So, uh, but the whole time they're there, he just wants to talk about poison ivy. Right. He keeps bringing her up, which really irritates her. So, so yeah. So then we. Cut back to another day where now he's, um, you know, he's back in the uh, the cell with her, and she starts revealing her 
wait for it, Secret Origin, yes. which we actually didn't know before this. So this is her real origin. Um, so she talks about growing up, her mom and pop, she was rich. Um, she was obsessed with plants. She always wanted to be a botanist. She liked flowers and plants. Um, and, uh, and basically, she also uh, talks about the fact that guys did not find her attractive. She was um, overweight. She had buck teeth, stupid hair, she says. But she was always obsessed with plants. And so she's talking, and she, so blah, 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 she's talking about it. And then basically she says that she started working with someone who you're familiar with, Mike Dell, yes. yep. Jason Woodrow. Yeah, the, the Floronic Man. man. Yep. We, we, we met him in a Swamp Thing issue, just a or was that two weeks ago, I think? That was, yeah, two weeks ago, right. Isn't it funny how everything ties together? Anyway. Yeah. So basically they're working together, and then she explains that he – gave her, um, he was experimenting her and actually giving her poison, right? But instead yep. of killing her, ended up making her immune to all poisons, which is kind of her power, like I said earlier. It's kind of, she, she, is a, she kind of, I don't know, I think over the years they've kind of altered what she can do, but yeah, so she's immune to poison, she can kind of control plants, and she has well, this magical effect over men. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, the pheromones to like, uh, you know, right. seduce the men. Now, but would, when people touch her, can she like poison them? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Like, but I think it's by choice. Like, she can yeah. release poison from her lips or whatever. Yeah. Because Michael, I want to get you know I like to get literary here. Sure. Basically, the poison ivy character was taken from a an 1844 short story written by Nathaniel Hawthorne called Rappaccini's Daughter. Really? Yes. It's about this Italian fella who's kind of like an evil scientist. And he wants to protect his daughter. So he grows all these plants, these poisonous plants in his garden. And his daughter uh, grows up with them. So she becomes immune to their poisons. And he doesn't let anyone get near his daughter. He keeps her in this walled-in garden. And, and she's immune to these poisons. But here, this fella next door spies her one day. And he says, oh, he falls in love with her instantly. So he tries to visit her in the garden. But she mm -hmm. can't touch him because she would poison him. And he comes back with an antidote. And he's like, here, here we go. Take this antidote, and that'll cure you. But it doesn't cure; it actually kills her. Spoiler alert! Whoa! Oh, I believe, I believe I've heard of this story, but I had no idea. So you're saying Robert Kaniger did not come up with this concept, really? No. Even uh, technically, I don't even think. I think even Nathaniel Hawthorne took it from somewhere else, but like uh, at least elements of it. But Rappaccini's daughter is like the origin of poison ivy, specifically, and even you could say Rogue. From the interesting. Entry. Okay. Okay. That heroin who can't be touched and controlling the plant. Sure. So there you go. Okay, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So basically, so then she starts. So then she kind of mentions Batman, right? And um, and so now we get a really falls cool in love with Batman. She she her room looks like my Oscar room and Chip's Green Lantern. I know. Room. I was going to say it's the exact same thing. She's got fact, Batman everywhere. Right. She actually has an issue of Amazing Heroes on her wall, which is a an awesome <laughs> fanzine from the eighties. But anyway. Wow, see, I did not know that. Yeah, it, it was basically like, I don't know how to explain it. It was, do you remember Wizard Magazine? Yeah, I used to get yeah. Wizard. Yeah, so this was like the Wizard of the 80s, but it was much better written. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then and we get some like, and, and uh, the image on the cover there is by David Monticelli from uh, oh, yeah. in year one. Yep. And then we get uh, like on the bottom right of that panel on um, original page eight, we get um, a little Silver Age, Batman and Robin, right? And then the, the next panel kind of looks like Brian Ballin from The Killing Joke, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, he puts that, that uh, cape. You can tell by right. the cape. Pointy yeah. edge of the cape. <laughs> right, right. And then the bottom panel is right out of the 60s, right? Like, I think that's supposed to yeah. be like Carmine Infantino, maybe. I'm not sure. but um. Yeah, that definitely looks like Carmine Infantino. And uh, but yeah, she falls in love with Batman, so she tries to like uh, get his attention by b becoming a uh, you know a criminal genius. And, right, right. But at the bottom panel, Michael, of that Carmine Infantino inspired art, I love that Robin is like looking at Poison Ivy kissing Batman, and he's just hap like you know nonchalantly punching this guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and this guy's like flipping. <laughs> I know it's awesome. He's upside down. And he's screaming. Maybe he's using that same punch that Hal Jordan used earlier. Yeah, the right? old shovel uppercut. There you go. <laughs> but um, this looks like a lead right, like a you know a right hook maybe. Okay, um, yeah, you're right. Not the same punch. So he's, <laughs> when he, at least when he's not he's not Green Lantern. We know that, right? So yes. 
<laughs> not that crazy punch. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so then Batman, you know, arrests her and she goes to prison and whatnot. And there you go. Yeah. And so that's basically it. So she kind of covers, you know, her actually, you know, what we saw in the comics in the 1960s or whatever. So then we cut back to um, Stuart talking to her. And, um, you know, basically, um, he's again, he's go he's narrating all along. Cut it where we see images of um, Poison Ivy, but now he's agreed to go on another date with Paula. And then it's kind of cool because, you know, this is 1989, so we can't really show it, but we cut to a shot of a door handle with a yeah. do not disturb sign on it. And he's narrating, he's like, more coffee with Paula. We go back to my hotel room together. And then during the night, I dream and I call it a name and wake up. I'm saying Ivy, Ivy, and Paula's awake next to me. She doesn't say anything, but I can tell she's awake from her breathing. So basically, he is obsessed yeah. with Poison Ivy, but this girl likes him, But and he just well, had sex with her, but he's still thinking about Poison Ivy. Yeah, he made the sweet, sweet love to her, but in his mind, he's really making sweet, sweet love to Poison Ivy. But right. here's the problem, though, Michael. Just before that, a couple panels before, we find out that he's married with kids. You know, it's funny. I completely didn't even notice that. Yeah. So it's he's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's cheating on his wife and kids and he's obsessed with a third woman. Yes. Um, now, like, do you think the like Poison Ivy monkeyed with his brain so much that he can't control himself or that? Yeah, he's just an uh, asshole. I, I think, think he's, he's probably just, just an asshole. Yeah. He's yeah. Probably just an asshole. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Um, so, yeah. So basically... Um, so then he goes back to the, uh, to the prison and he, now he has this new thing where he wants to talk to Poison Ivy on her own outside. And so yes. he, you know, he basically can, he kind of forces them to let him do it. So he brings her outside and they're chatting it up. And then, um, she kind of, again, sucks him in and is talking and talking. And then he kind of looks down and sees that his hand has been burned by her poison yeah, she had touched his hand. Right. And uh, he got these big welts and blisters on his hand. Yeah, yeah and then he, and then she, uh, we get some really ugly um, depictions <laughs> yes. of his face as this is going on. But, and yes. now she's, which we can talk more about later, but she's also using her plant powers to kind of wrap this, these weeds and grass around him to kind of hold him down. And then he, uh, he gives her, she gives him a kiss on the cheek. And then finally the guards kind of uh, come in to help him out. So they've got their guns pointed at him and they lead her away. And, you know, he's kind of left on his own. And he's like, she's like, he's like, well, my face itches where she kissed me, blah, blah, blah. He looks in the mirror and there's actually like an imprint of her lips on his cheek. And he's like, yeah. oh, I don't know how I'm going to explain this to my wife, right? <laughs> yeah. Or Paula. <laughs> yeah, or Paula. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, now he's back in, um, now he's back on, on his own and he's looking at the, um, the monitor and now he realizes that she did know that the camera was there all along because she's talking to it Stuart you won't forget will you I have to get out of here so mm -hmm. she's trying to use her you know persuasive abilities to convince him to get her out of this prison um, and basically it just ends with him talking about her and you know finishing his report of what she is and then he's like I'm sorry pretty ivy poison ivy crazy ivy you can turn the sound down or you can turn down the sound, but you can't turn off the picture. And the last shot is Poison Ivy just sort of screaming towards the camera, and that's it. Well, the other big thing here is he, you see a panel before that, uh, like the second to last panel of him giving his recommendation of what to do with her, and he just writes Arkham Asylum. Right, 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 yes. So, so he wants her committed to the, you know, the, the so, real yeah. strict prison. She's too crazy for a Suicide Squad. Yeah. Right. And, and also, an uh, interesting thing I just noticed going through this, like the entire issue, all the gutters, like between the panels, was yes. all colored red. And then on the last page, it's like normal, just white. Uh, I never noticed that. Look at but that. But I don't know why that, was that an accident? Was that intentional? Is it supposed to signify something? Yes. Huh, I don't know. Maybe this is where he, he's kind of broken the spell. I don't know. Well, yeah, let me go back to, yeah, let's see if the beginning of the, Story. Yeah, I just checked the whole thing is red. Yep. Uh, okay. Well, then there goes that idea. Because <laughs> like, if it was white before he met her, and then sure. red after, that would have been cool. But uh, yeah, it's probably just they fucked up. All right. <laughs> they probably yeah, the last page was probably a mistake, but it was definitely intended to be red for the whole thing for the rest of the piece. So there you go. That's uh, and the story we should mention is called Pavon, which and, is uh, 
an old medieval dance. Oh, really? Yes, I didn't know that. I had to look it up. Ah, okay. I thought maybe it was just something you came across in your uh, English studies. <laughs> no, I had no okay. idea. Um, but then you could pick it up from uh, context uh, later because she says uh, her and Batman are do the pavon of seduction or something. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. But anyway, so yeah, this story was written by Neil Gaiman. And we've talked about him, I think, last week on the show. We brought him up for some reason, right? Right. I think, uh, did oh, because we said that Doctor Strange reminded us of uh, Sandman. Yeah, we were talking about Vertigo and DC and stuff. Right, right. right. Yeah. Because uh, poor Carrot said he read that stuff. All right. right. Um, so Neil Gaiman was born in Hampshire, England in 1960. In the early 80s, he was pursuing journalism and doing interviews and book reviews when he published his first short story in 1984. And that same year, he was waiting for a train at Victoria Station, and he picked up a copy of Swamp Thing by Alan Moore. Really? And he was hooked. And that's what convinced him to get into comics by reading Swamp Thing. Uh, also in 1984, he published his first book. Do you know what his first book was? No, I don't. No. A, a biography of Duran Duran. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That is correct. Wow. Okay, now I, I've got to read that. Yes. Uh, in 1986-87, he published his first stuff in comic books uh, in uh, 2000 AD. We mentioned this before. Who else broke in in 2000 AD? Well, I think Alan Moore. Alan Moore, I believe, and Grant yeah. Morrison. They, they did work there for sure. I'm not sure if it was their first work, but they definitely uh, worked on that. Yeah, Yeah, it's a, a weekly British sci-fi comics magazine. And uh, I think he did four, uh, I think they call them Future Shocks or something. Little yes. Stories. And he also did three graphic novels with artist Dave McKean during right. this time. Yeah. And D DC took notice of those, and they hired him in 1987. And his first gig was a three-issue Black Orchid limited series, also drawn by uh, McKean. So he That's continued right. collaborating. Now, do you know anything about Black Orchid, Michael? Not much. I just know that she was a, uh, a DC superheroine in the 70s, I think, right? Well, this seems like a completely different story, then. Yeah. What I what I read about it was like, like these two young girls just find themselves in a greenhouse one day and they don't know where they came from or what, who they are. And then they interact uh, with DC superheroes along the way. Well, it's, it's just like Sandman. Like all Neil Gaiman did was he took the name Sandman that was already around for 40 years and he just created Morpheus, right? In that whole, uh, I, I don't know if you know anything about Sandman, but yeah, he created. I do not. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't have to get into it now, but. He basically just took the name Sandman, which had been used by DC for two separate characters, one in the 40s and then one in the 70s by Jack Kirby. And he just took the name and just created a whole new concept, and that became the Sandman of the 90s. So I think he did the same thing with Black Orchid. And the Black Orchid success did eventually lead for They gave him Sandman then. And that started in 1989, and it ran to 1996, 75 issues. Yep. I like I always knew it was popular back then because uh, wasn't there a character named Death? He was like a teenage girl or something. Yes, that's his sister. Yep. Yeah. So she became real popular and I remember seeing them, but I never read any of it. So wow. did you read all the Sand Men? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did not read all of them, but I did read at least maybe a half of it, I would say. And it's all really good. Yeah. And I, and I guess he did some Death Limited series then. As yes, well. that's correct. Death, then Death, The High Cost of Living, I believe. Yeah. Yep, that was one of them. And uh, he also did a Riddler story for Secret Origins Special Number 1 in 1989. That one's coming up soon in oh. the next year or so. Yep. Wow, can't wait. But that actually has a famous cover. Like, I've actually, I'm actually familiar with that cover, even though I've never read that issue. It's like, it's got uh, the Penguin, Two-Face, right. and Riddler, and then like a shadow of Batman on the wall behind them. That's right, yep. That was all at the height of Batmania, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, this is 89. This is all happening. And, yep. Yeah. The height of Batmania. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Gaiman's done a shit ton of stuff. But um, really, when it comes to comics, like Sandman, he also did Miracle Man a little bit, right? Oh, yes. That's absolutely right. <laughs> yep. He took um, over for Alan Moore on Miracle Man. He, and, and I should point out that he... Um, when he was on Miracle Man, he unfortunately worked with the same artist. <laughs> yes, I was going to. Not a huge fan of. So yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, let's get into the artist then. Let's bring him up because uh, I don't have a lot of about him. But uh, Mark Buckingham is uh -huh. the artist, and he was born in the UK in 1966. 
Uh, his first work that I could tell was Hellblazer, 18 to 22 in 1989. And of course, this was also 1989. So when you're looking at this art, this is him at 23 years old breaking into the business. Okay. Right? So uh, then he did Miracle Man, 17 to 24 in 1992. So I'm guessing that art may have been a little bit better than this? Mm, not in my opinion. Okay. No. And that was also with Neil Gaiman. Uh, then he did the death limit. He did a death limited series with Gaiman in 1996, but it wasn't the high cost of living. It was called something else. Okay. But then his what he's most famous for, Michael, is uh, from 2002 to 2015. Uh, he did a, a comic called Fables. Oh yes, yes, yes. And he did a shit ton of those issues from issue six to 150. Like he didn't do that entire run, but just about. Right, right. Probably about 85 percent of the books in that run. <laughs> Um, and I, I got to tell you, I, yeah, this art here, I don't like it because it seems very it reminded me a lot of early Michael Golden and how it like seemed sketchy and unfinished and just okay. like the faces were not good, you know, and mm. they would change appearances from panel to panel. To panel. Right, right. Uh, so it seemed like a young guy trying to find his way. But I, I so I went ahead and I looked at his art from Fables and it's actually really good. OK, it, it, it's really clean and it reminds me because he also did a lot of inking. OK. Um, what I mentioned were basically his main penciling credits, but he also did a lot of inking. But this fable stuff, it was very reminiscent of like Paul Smith, Alan Davis. Okay, okay. Very clean lines and, you know, smooth. So, yeah. See, uh, I read the first trade of fables, but I don't remember if it went up to number six or not. So I'm not sure if I ever saw his art. But I don't remember thinking the art was great, but maybe I didn't come across him. And again, that's a, a very long run, 2002 right. to 2015. So I'm sure somewhere along there, he got really, he got much, you know, he, pr he kept improving, I'm sure. Sure, throughout. sure. Yeah. But yeah, I was impressed when I saw the Fables art. So it's not, mm -hmm. it, you wouldn't know the same guy did that. Sure. Because this art he, here isn't so good. But, no, didn't he also do Spider-Man? Like Spectacular Spider-Man or something? I didn't see that listed. Oh, but, okay. Uh, maybe. I could have just yeah. missed it. But, All right. Um. So there you go, Mark Buckingham. Uh, how about Neil Gaiman's story? What did you think of the story? Oh, well, I mean, I thought it was excellent, personally. I thought it was, um, I mean, Neil Gaiman at this point, even though he was still, you know, early in his career, he was, he was I mean, the fact that he followed Alan Moore in Miracle Man, he was obviously writing sort of like Alan Moore, right? So, I mean, compared to, again, you can just compare it to the other two stories in this issue, and I think it's infinitely better. Personally. Yeah, it, it's much more like literary. Exactly. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I like the story a lot. I, I was uh, like the way it ended is fine. Um, mm -hmm. But I almost was hoping Poison Ivy would like drive that guy insane or something to the point sure. where, he, where he just kills himself. <laughs> That's what yeah. I was hoping. <laughs> yeah, they could have gone further with it. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, it's a good, solid story. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, the art definitely because Poison Ivy, she should be like looking like a smoking hot lady. You know, right, like, right. And so the art really undermined the story a lot. But um, yeah, like the thing is, it's almost like the art. It's hard to explain, but like it, it's almost like if you squint, it looks good. But then you, <laughs> it's like he knows how to lay out the panels, but like the actual fit, like faces just don't look human sometimes. It's like, he, yeah, he just hasn't figured out what to draw and what not to draw because it's like he's emphasizing the wrong things on um, on Poison Ivy's face. Like, he just makes her look so ugly, eh? It's very yeah. unattractive. And even the, the, the guy, the Stuart, uh, whatever his name was, he, he his appearance would change from page to page. Like, there were right. some panels where he looks exactly like Peyton Manning. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the American footballers, Michael. I've yeah, heard yeah. of Peyton Manning, yep. All right. Well, oh, yeah, because yeah, the thing is, that, like, that's one of the things about art is it's not it's a consistency is one of the hardest things about drawing comics is because, like you said, from every, from panel to panel, the characters have to look the same. Their proportions have to be the same, yeah. you know, and that's not easy. So, yeah, it's obvious Fair that enough. he has talent, but he's just sort of amateur at this point. Yeah. Again, he's, he's this is his first year working in comics. So, right. This is right. What it is. Um, but yeah. Uh, so should we rate this? issue <laughs> oh boy. well uh, overall uh, what's the overall rating for the entire issue michael boy. well okay first i'm going to break it down the poison ivy one i'll give an eight just because it, the story is so good the art is okay so i'll give it an eight even with the art you're, you'd give that an eight yeah i still give it an eight because i think the art at least it tells the story so i think it's okay 
Um, the pie face one, <laughs> the pie face one, uh, I'll give it a, a six because I like Joe Staten's art. The, the writing's not bad. The Green Lantern one, honestly, I think it's the worst because yeah. if you took out the fact that it's just rehashing an actual good story from 1959, the actual issue itself, I think, is junk. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like the writing is not great. Even though I know Jim Owsley's a good writer, the writing is not great. The art by M.D. Bright or Mark Bright, it's it's pretty ugly. It's not great. It's fine. It's 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 better than Bucking. Well, it depends what you like. But yeah. I mean, it's it's very late 80s, early 90s art. Yeah. And I've seen him do a little bit better, too. So uh, he does get better, I guess. But yeah, but it's... I had no huge problem with the art. But it's like definitely from that era, though. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, this, I mean, I didn't hate it, but I'll give it like a, I'll give the Green Legion story a four. So if you average out, what was that? Four, <laughs> six, and eight. What's that? A five? Four, six, Wait, a four, six, and eight would be no, 18. Six. So that'd be a six overall. Yeah. Yeah, six. Uh, I'll give the Poison Ivy story a six. Okay. Uh, because the art just it's terrible it? like okay it's, yeah and uh uh the, the 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 pie face story i like the fact that he's getting some attention okay because obviously he suffered a lot throughout his life being called pie face so it's nice that he gets some attention sure. so I'll, I'll give that like a four okay and, and then the green lantern you know like, like a like a two so there you go that's a that, that would be a four overall oh boy so, yeah, sounds about right yeah <sighs> So if it was just the Neil Gaiman story, it would be a six, six. you said? Oh, all right. Because I'm, I'm less forgiving of that art than you are. Sure. Like, yeah, it, it because... Really no, yeah, it didn't... It, I don't think it hurt it. It's just that it was really... Oh, it hurt. Because Poison Ivy is supposed to be a seductress, and wow. there is nothing seductive about her in this book. No, that's true. I'll give you that. So. But anyway. So yeah, that wraps up Secret Origins number 36. So what is coming next? All right, Mike, I'll get ready. You're going to be shocked at this. Oh yeah, okay. This is what this is one of my picks. I haven't had a pick in a while. Okay. I'm going back one of my favorite stories I remember as a kid. I okay. had these issues. It's a DC book. Whoa. It's a DC book that features Batman. Whoa. Are you kidding me? What is the oh, world coming to? I know, I feel bad for doing this. Hmm. May God have mercy on my soul. But uh, this this is part 2 of a three-part story. And it was written by Jerry Conway and drawn by George Perez. Nice. This is Justice League of America, issue nice. 196 from awesome. 1981. Oh, I love this story when I was a kid. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, Micah. Also, no. I should mention, our buddy Cousin Brandon, Psycho Pirate is in this story. <gasps> wow. <laughs> Okay. But the way I the way I balance out the fact that Batman's in here is it features a giant monkey. Okay. <laughs> it, it's the ultra humanite when he's in the big white gorilla body. Okay. So there's a giant monkey. Up. And also Batman gets beat up by a like sea level villain that I never heard of. And he gets defeated by this villain. Is it so Black Manta? No, the guy I think the guy's name is Signal. Oh, okay. Yeah. But basically the premise of this story, like I said, is a three issue arc is ultra humanite. Who's this really smart dude whose brain is now inside of a body of a giant gorilla. He he uh, brings together all these villains. OK, some from Earth two, some from Earth one, I believe. And he says, we're going to take out these superheroes. We're going to knock them out. We're going to f- join forces to take out these heroes. And so over the course of the first two issues, like uh, one villain goes after one hero and they just take him out. Oh, you know, it's crazy. I think I have this. It's a great story. I loved oh. it as a kid. And so in, in the issue we will be reviewing next week, Batman gets his ass beat. Yeah. So. Oh, look at that. I love that title. Countdown to crisis. <laughs> great. And you, and you realize now, because this is a comic that I would have read anyway, now I have to go and read every John, Jerry Conway <laughs> issue, right, before I read this one. I would definitely read the one before this and the one after to get, so you can get the whole story, because it is sure. a nifty little But I always love stories where you get, like, a group of villains going after a group of heroes, and I really like how they pick them off one by one at a time, you know? Sure, yeah. And there are some villains in here that I, ne- I wasn't aware of, um, like, I think Ragd- Ragman. Oh yeah, everyone knows Ragman. Is there, anyway. or it, might, it might be Ragdoll actually, not Ragman. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that's a different character. Yeah, Ragdoll is this guy. Okay. Um, Mist, the Mist. 
Okay. Um, couple, and then like Our Man. I totally forgot Our Man. Oh yeah, of course, love he's Our Man. Here. Uh, he's a good guy, by the way. If you're scoring at home. Oh yeah, of course. But yeah, it's it's a great story. You get to see uh, all the DC heroes get beat up. I love it. So I'm, I'm yeah, I've got a handful of issues from this era, and this is probably my favorite era of Justice League. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this for sure. And I, and I think uh, my next pick after this, Michael, will also be a DC book. Whoa, what is this world yeah. coming to? I know, because wow. I, I think I'm going to, because I want to go back to the ones I liked as a kid. And these, sure. and uh, so anticipate All-Star Squadron after this. Oh, great, great. There you go. Cool, I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, so I guess that wraps up this week's edition of Flea Market Fantasy, the podcast that reviews a different Bronze Age comic every week. This has been your co-host, Mike Dell. As always, I'm joined by Mike Dell. Until next Tuesday, this has been Flea Market Fantasy.